one of these days I'm going to stop taking victory laps on here about the Lakers, but today is not that day. Hey, it's got to be one of these days, man. I mean, I know they're looking good, but <laughs> I guess we'll see. I'll allow it. I'll allow it one, maybe two more times. We'll see. But hello, everyone. Looking good is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome, everyone, to the episode number five of Frenemies. My name is Joel Asher, alongside my co-host and, as you can tell, Lakers super fan, Austin Green, still bragging about the Lakers. He's even wearing a sweatshirt. He's flexing that out. I'm uh, rocking my LA Wildcats XFL sweatshirt. Looking forward to 2022 for that coming. But Austin, you're excited about the Lakers again. Seems like you are every week. But you know, it's fair with the moves they've been making. I'll give you that. Well, I love how we're repping the best and worst 2020 LA teams on this show. <laughs> hey, I don't know. The Chargers might be that, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Oh, man. But yeah, no, great week for the Lakers. When is it not a great week for the Lakers at this point? News broke yesterday that LeBron James has extended his contract for another two years and $85 million. It's a max deal for him. I, I mean, I don't have to. I feel like there's no analysis that you can say of when your team extends LeBron James. Uh, of course, it's great. It's LeBron James. Uh <laughs> One thing I will point out, this now means that this is the longest he will have stayed with the team since his first run in Cleveland. Uh, so huge vote of confidence in kind of the Rob Polinka genie bus setup and how much he trusts them. This morning, then Anthony Davis signs the deal that we kind of were all expecting him to sign, except uh, the deal itself was a lot longer than I think a lot of us expected. Five years, $190 million, opt out after four I am shocked. I thought that before LeBron had his own extension, LeBron had an opt-out clause for next season, which makes his current extension, which I believe is technically a three-year deal, more of a two-year deal. Mm -hmm. um, so he is under contract through 2023, LeBron is. And then Anthony Davis is actually under contract until at least 2024. Right. So it looks like that the... Lakers have pretty much aced the test of, you know, not only bringing superstars on, but creating an environment of trust where LeBron and AD obviously feel super comfortable being Lakers and they want to be here for the long run. And the fact that this window is now officially not over after next year, when it still seemed like a pretty good chance, like a non-zero chance that it might be is massive and i loved what our buddy harrison fagan wrote uh this morning about the anthony davis deal which is pretty much that this is a validation of how the lakers treat their stars genie bus i mean a lot of lakers fans can sometimes kind of snarkily refer to the lakers as a family business but that is genuinely how genie bus sees it like if you're part of the lakers you're part of the lakers family we saw that with how they treated magic we saw that with how they treated kobe um, especially towards the end of Kobe's career, giving him a very similar two-year max extension. In fact, I think Kobe and LeBron were actually the same age when um, they were both given these ma massive extensions. Of course, in Kobe's case, he was coming off an Achilles injury, and pretty much everyone knew he would never be the same player again. But it did send a message that, hey, through thick and thin, the Lakers take care of their stars. We saw how the Lakers honored Kobe over the last couple seasons of his career, we saw how they honored him, you know, even after he retired. You know, the the message that has been communicated to uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis and their agent, Rich Paul, is come here and we will take care of you. We will give you literally everything you need. Obviously, there's a lot of other reasons for them to be in L.A. Endorsement deals. LeBron has his family out here. He likes having his family out here. He has all the, his production stuff out here, which is obviously a huge plus. But at the end of the day, the Lakers ace the what i think is honestly the most important test to, in the nba which is get stars and then once you have them make them happy and it's very clear obviously winning cures everything <laughs> but it's clear they've passed that test yeah no they definitely have i mean why if, if, if you're looking at your lebron james you're getting in the later stages of your career just off a championship anthony davis still a lot of years to go but why why wouldn't you want to stay with the lakers i mean after I mean, especially after the last season they had, as you said, winning cures everything, but also just so many factors, as you mentioned, and in the free agency, the Lakers loaded up even more. I mean, yep. the, the team is looking 
on paper even better than the team that is fresh off the championship last year. So if you're those two guys, why wouldn't you want to stay together? You got good chemistry together. You enjoy being friends and teammates on the same team. And like you said, Jeannie Buss and Rob Polinka treating them well in L.A., treating them well in that Lakers family. And that precedent has been set. They can look in the past. They can see, hey, long after we retire, we're going to be part of this special family and this business that is the Los Angeles Lakers. And so it's a no-brainer for them. Why wouldn't you want to keep it in the family? Which kind of brings us on to another family member, which is LeBron James' son, Bronny Jr. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's what I was going to get to next. Yes. Yeah, so so Bronny, I mean, he's he doesn't have too many years left in high school playing over there on that fantastic Sierra Canyon team. Um, he was overshadowed a little bit, I'd say, by some of the stars on that team, but he's going to feature... He was a, also a freshman. He was so. a freshman, true freshman with a lot of five stars on that Sierra Canyon team. I mean, I don't know how they do it, but they pull incredible players out there in L.A. But Bronny Jr., you know, if LeBron sticks around long enough and he goes one and done in college, we could see him and his dad suiting up in the purple and gold. Well, yeah, or I think just when the news of the extension hit, I saw a lot of NBA commentators on Twitter being like, wow, LeBron's going to retire a Laker. That's kind of surprising. Like, I guess it's, I guess that's what's going to happen now. And I'm like, well, well, wait a second. First of all, LeBron, if his career fell under the normal rules of an NBA player's career, he would already be declining a ton. Clearly, that's not the case. Even if he may have lost a step or two, it's pretty clear that he's still one of the best players in the world. So who knows how long he's going to keep playing past his current contract. Mm -hmm. Second of all, he has said so, so, so much. He's on the record so many times talking about wanting to play with Bronny, if at all possible. We don't know what kind of NBA prospect Bronny will be in regards to all this, you know, or who will pick him. Who knows how good of a player he'll turn out, how high in the draft he'll go. Yeah. Whether someone would even be incentivized to take him if LeBron is still a, good, is still like a top-tier player in a few years uh, to entice LeBron onto their team. But the point is that, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I think it's kind of a long shot that Bronny would end up with the Lakers, but who knows? But it's going to be really interesting to see because now, you know, the end of LeBron's contract lines up with when Bronny gets out of high school. And if the NBA repeals their current, you have to spend a year out of high school before entering the draft rule, which it seems like there's some momentum towards that happening. Yeah. Then, yeah, I mean, I don't think LeBron, barring some catastrophic injury or a steep decline, which I just would not bet on happening. Mm -hmm. I don't think LeBron's career is over uh, after this current contract by any means. No, no, I don't think so at all. I mean, you see the the way the guy played last year. I mean, he played angry. He was coming. He was coming for yeah. that MVP trophy. I mean, he he's he feels he feels disrespected. He's angry. He won the title, and he said, "Put some damn respect on." It. I mean, the guy, he's angry, and he's coming for. It. He's he's nowhere near the end of his career. And if you look at it, in my opinion, and in yours as well, I mean, he's still one of the best in the world. And at any at any given moment, has the ability to honestly just take over a game and to still have that ability yep. at his age is really quite incredible and points towards I mean he's not mentioned retiring anytime soon he hasn't even really he hasn't really talked about that and it doesn't seem to be in his sights at all and I think this contract that he signs and with Anthony Davis being there longer it does have some positive signs and it may it may just point to the fact that he he wants to retire a Laker um, we'll, we'll see what really happens with that when his when his contract ends but I 100% agree with you I don't think that LeBron James is done when this contract ends and I'm excited to see uh, what happens with his son, Bronny, you know, see if he blossoms into the star. We can't expect him to become his dad. I know that must be so hard growing up a kid. I mean, of the yeah. one of the best in the world, that's gotta be so hard expectation wise, but we'll see what happens. LeBron has talked about how he says one of his biggest regrets in life is naming his firstborn kid LeBron Jr., which is why uh, he kind of goes by Bronny now, why everyone kind of calls him Bronny, so he's not, you know, Baby Bron or LeBron Jr. or anything like that. Um, but at the same time, I feel like part of that kind of belies the fact that, like, well, the dude is always going to be seen as the kid of LeBron James, like, regardless of what his name is, especially the firstborn son. Yeah. You know, it's clear that, like, this whole LeBron's kid kind of stigma is going to be there for him. So the question is, how good is Bronny James, the actual basketball player? And he had some good flashes last year, but, you know, I mean, I've seen some Sierra Canyon games. He has some flashes. You know, it's still too early to tell. The kid's, like, 15. Yeah, I mean, he's a freshman. I mean, he's going to be a sophomore, but, yeah, it's tough to tell. Last thing I'll say about that about the whole Lakers-LeBron thing is just the fact that um, 
this does, it's funny because like one of the top articles on Bleacher Report today was, does this take the Lakers out of the running for Giannis in 2021? Yeah, it does. And who cares? We have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I love to have Giannis and have a super team that, that would just wreck the league and win over 70 games for, you know, four straight years or whatever. That was never like when you have the old saying, bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. When you have two superstars on your team, work on keeping those superstars first. Yeah. I don't give a crap about what happens to Giannis in 2021 and the Lakers odds of getting him now that we have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the team for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Sorry, that's my little rant. I know they're, you know, clickbait <laughs> and all that people. Yeah. There's all that speculation always gets page views. I understand how the media world works, but something like that. It's like, yeah, the the thing I'm most concerned about now is whether or not the Lakers have a chance to Giannis. Like, give me a break. Yeah, that's not the goal. I mean, you don't as great as a superstar, no disrespect at all, but I mean Oh, absolutely you don't not. you don't you don't need Giannis at this point when you lock up two stars like LeBron and AD and you have the free agency they had bringing in Schroeder and other players like Wes Matthews. I mean, yep. you just as great as it would be to have. I mean, you you don't you don't really need him. You know, if if he stays with the Bucks, the Bucks are trying to build around him as they keep falling short in the playoffs despite having incredible regular seasons. We'll see, but um, yeah, all respect to Giannis. But the Lakers did what they needed to do and they aced the free agency test. They aced the keeping their two stars in town test, so they're. Um, the only thing going against them is the short break they have between uh, their title win and this season. But, you know, they they seem ready to go, and they're looking good. I, I hate to say that as a Celtics fan, but we'll we'll see what happens. You know, 2020 is a crazy year. The season is going to begin in 2020 and then get into 2021. We'll see what that year brings for the NBA and for all of us. But, yeah, Lakers are looking good and signed their two stars, so they've got to be thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if it weren't for the fact that they got Shaq and Kobe in the same year in 1996, this would easily be the best offseason in franchise history. I mean, if you were to ask me what like the perfect Lakers offseason would be, this is it. Like, there's nothing I can really like complain about. They the team is loaded from top to bottom, and they address the long term issue of how long uh, LeBron and AD would even be there. So, I mean, yeah, there's there's literally nothing to complain about. I think it's especially cool just seeing LeBron's influence around the league now, um, seeing how he's become such a powerful figure in NBA history to the point that you know even the Celtics are bringing on some LeBron protégés like Tristan Thompson, just wanting to build that winning culture that clearly they just have never had. I mean, the Celtics, you know, another struggling, downtrodden franchise, oh, only wow. been to one final or only been to two finals in the past 30 years only won one title in the past 30 years you know it's it's good to see that Danny Ainge wants to kind of reboot the culture there a little bit because they you know they've they they've really been struggling there I, I don't know if I'd say struggling the titles the titles have not come but if you look at a lot of teams around the league and and you see the roster the Boston Celtics have um, a lot of teams would would wish to have that roster um, we've won the same amount of titles as the Lakers obviously the Lakers just matched it with 17 and I don't know what it is with my teams but they they've won a lot of titles in the past but haven't had the successes of recent Celtics um, obviously they did have one in the in the in the 2000s they had that championship in 2008 but yeah, they're looking. They're not. They're not a downtrodden. I, I agree with that. I disagree with that. I mean, they're not a downtrodden franchise at all. They, they, they are in contention every single year, but uh, they haven't quite had the uh, recent success the Lakers had. Obviously, won the championship this season. Um, overall, they have been in more contention the past like ten years, I'd say, obviously than than the Lakers. But the Lakers now building um, a solid team there. But um, Tristan Thompson's a solid player. He adds um, veteran experience. Oh, yes. Um, he and you he, talked about how they you talked about how they needed a big. Yeah, uh, we needed a big. It's very clear he fits that hole. And and to your to your comment, which is a little bit true, LeBron <laughs> protege. He did he did despite this Cavaliers being a dumpster fire somewhat without LeBron as he left. Um, Tristan Thompson did manage to put up solid numbers, rebounding and points averaging per game. Um, without LeBron, I yeah. think he's a solid player, and I think he's probably got to be thrilled to be joining a winning franchise who's going to actually have some support around him, and he doesn't have to carry the team and still lose. I mean, I don't know Kevin Love and Colin Sexton. Like, I don't. Yeah. He's he's got to be happy. Poor to be Kevin out of Love, there. man. I feel bad for that guy. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin but Love he, does deserve to play on the Cavs team without LeBron. Poor guy, man. He does not. I feel bad, but yeah, Tristan Thompson's got to be happy to get onto a good team, and yeah, dressed a big need for the Celtics, but. Yeah, the season is ever, ever approaching quickly here, so we're excited. Yep. December 22nd, tip-off, and a lot of games on Christmas Day, so 
looking forward to the tip-off of another NBA season. Looking forward to laughing every time the uh, Celtics, who are living so far in the past that they made their city jerseys, the literal championship banners, uh, whenever they take the court in those ugly eyesores of jerseys. Hey, I like the jerseys. It reminds them of the oh, legacy. Come on. Those look disgusting. They, they they have the banner on. They they play for another banner. You know, it's all in the mindset. You know, it, it's oh it's a direct gosh. correlation from Jersey to what we're aspiring to and hoping to get. Another one of those banners up in TD Garden. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> we're going to move on. <laughs> Keep living in the past, man. Hey, I'm living in the present. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Over in the MLB, it's been pretty quiet, except for, ironically, our two teams, the Dodgers and Angels. Uh, the Angels picked up former All-Star Jose Iglesias, veteran shortstop who spent last season with the Baltimore Orioles and did pretty well. The Angels traded two minor leaguers to the Orioles for him. I think the biggest takeaway from this is that Angleton Simmons is for sure gone next year. So, Joel, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Jose Iglesias, obviously, as you mentioned, he's a nine-year veteran, been in the league for a while. Um, <clears throat> he definitely knows what he's doing. He's he's put up solid numbers over the years, has been an all-star before. Um, I, I love Andrelton Simmons, and he's been one of my favorite angels on that team. They, they call him Simba. And the guy, I mean, he's just he's a wizard with the glove, quite honestly. I think he's probably one of the more underrated shortstops in the league, but he has gotten some gold gloves for his work. Um, he's he's incredible. I mean, the way he turns double plays, dives and makes plays, flips it without looking. Um, sad to see him go, but yeah, this, this confirms it. He's going to be gone. He's a free agent this year and has not been extended a qualifying offer. So Andrelton Simmons um, will be heading somewhere else, which glad to see that Perry Manazzi, and this is his first big move as general manager, glad to see he's addressed the issue. He's making some moves, and he's brought in a veteran like Iglesias. He... He did have an injury last year that took him out of some games in that shortened 60-game 60, 60 season, but he was, through 35 games, he had batted 371, so he's putting up solid numbers. Um, so the shift is going to be, some people have speculated, maybe with Simmons gone, that David Fletcher would take over at shortstop, but he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. I think he's played every single position. He's, he's even played in the outfield sometimes. David Fletcher's can go anywhere and make an impact, but he's going to be playing second base now, it looks like, as Iglesias comes in to take over that shortstop and... Joe Madden said that they expect him to be at a gold glove level at second base. They have a lot of confidence in David Fletcher. So the Angels, that that hasn't been the problem, <laughs> as, as I've so often said. Um, the defense has actually been pretty solid. What has been the problem, Joel? What has been the problem I, with I the I don't want to say it again because everyone listening to this probably is sick of me saying pitching, but I'd love to see us get some pitchers. That's what I'll say. Gosh, love to see us get someone who can hold a lead closers who can come in and preserve that lead pitchers who can give us a chance because um, we do have an explosive offense i will say the starting pitching market especially in free agency we've seen guys like uh charlie morton to the braves we'll see it seems like we're seeing a lot of kind of short-term deals expensive short-term deals but short-term deals like one or two year deals nothing super long which strikes me as the type of deal that the angels pursued under billy Epler. Mm -hmm. And would probably, you know, depending on who's still out there, depending on who they're looking at, might be a good idea to pursue under uh, Perry Minazzi. And obviously a lot of the uh, Epler signings were, you know, gambling on reclamation projects like Matt Harvey, like Tim Lincecum. Yeah. But uh, it does seem like this starting pitching market could really work in the Angels' favor. So I expect them to make some moves, some sort of moves there because they kind of have to. So yeah. we'll have to see what that what that turns out to be. Yeah, no, I definitely do expect the Angels to make some moves in free agency. As as you said, it has been pretty quiet thus far. Um, obviously, the season isn't starting super soon. <laughs> but yeah, looking for free agency to heat up, and there are a few good pitchers out there. Would love to see the Angels um, try and get at least two pitchers. Try and get, first off, we need, we need another ace in there. I feel pretty good with Andrew Heaney and Dylan Bundy. Heaney, when he's healthy, is really good, and Bundy was actually excellent this year for the Angels. He came in, and he was uh, probably the lone. Well, not the lone. We got Mike Trout. <laughs> Can't forget that, but he was he was the bright spot of the pitching staff this year, Dylan Bundy. So to go out and get another ace, to have three rotational aces who can come in and give you a good outing, allow only like one or two runs, give that offense a chance to get going and get a win, and then the closers is the bigger issue. Um, I don't know if the Angels are going to cut some people, send them down to the minors, or just try and develop them, but the whole closing staff was 
pretty awful last year, I think. They had the second best, or second worst, <laughs> not best, definitely not best. Second worst ERA in, in the MLB as far as the bullpen goes. So they're going to need to shore that up in the free agency. So I also, you know, it's interesting you bring up Dylan Bundy because I think Dylan Bundy is the one exception to that rule of Billy Epler reclamation projects that actually yeah. worked uh, in terms of, I mean, he was on the younger side. He clearly showed a ton of potential early on with the Orioles, and it seemed like the Orioles player development staff, or lack thereof, <laughs> just kind of butchered his development. Yeah. It was nice to see uh, him have a bit of a comeback last season, and you know, for his sake, I hope he can continue that next year. Um, speaking of reclamation, the Dodgers swung a trade for Coley Knebel from the Milwaukee Brewers. This is like the classic stereotypical Andrew Friedman move, which is like it's almost something that you can almost like set your watch to. The Dodgers go out and get a reliever who was an all-star or a, or a really good closer at some point who then had a down year or got hurt. In Neville's case, he had Tommy John surgery in 2019, missed all of 2020. So it, it appears the Dodgers are kind of gambling on a bounce back, obviously a ro- low-risk move. Um, but they're kind of gambling on a bounce back to kind of shore up that bullpen. Of course, a lot of their guys, uh, Blake Trinan especially, is a big name that uh, will be a free agent next year. A lot of their uh, bullpen is set to return. Uh, this is the last year of Kenley Jansen's contract, and of course there's speculation as to you know what, if any, role he has in the late innings this year for the Dodgers because he is clearly past his prime and on a steep decline. So bringing in a guy like Neville, again, you know, uh, low risk, possibly high reward move, kind of stereotypical Andrew Friedman transaction. Yeah. We saw this with Blake Trinan. We saw this with Joe Blanton before. Uh, we've seen this with guys like Juan Nicasio. Uh, that's a really deep cut from 2015. <laughs> yeah. Tom Kohler as well, one who didn't work out because he got hurt in spring training. You've seen this with a lot of different pitchers over Andrew Friedman's careers. Some of them work and do really well. Some of them don't. So you know, low risk, high reward. If he works out, great. If he doesn't, I, I believe they gave up cash or a player to be named later Yeah, for yeah. him. So, Not a huge loss for the Dodgers there, obviously. Yeah, it could could pay off, so why not why not take the risk? I mean, you're, you're sitting high after your first championship since 88, so the Dodgers <sighs> obviously have a good team. I never team. have to hear about 1988 <laughs> again. I no, love you this don't. so much. 2020, except for me, who will, who will bring it up. But I, I really can't talk at all, though. Uh, <laughs> Sadly, Angels suck. Uh, Thank goodness. But you know, I'm so you know, tired of hearing about 2002. I love the Angels. They'll they'll get back there. They'll get back there one day. Here, I just hope it is during Mike Trout's career. Um, the yeah. statistical odds say that you know, Anaheim Angels. Well, I should say the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, which I'll no, call them by their real name. I don't love. I like Anaheim Angels a lot better. But they'll. Hey, you know, Artie's got to have that merchandising. Uh, I guess says Los Angeles I, on everything. it's pretty ridiculous, but I they'll they'll get back there one day, and you know I'll remain faithful through the ups and downs as as we fans have to. You gotta can't be fair weather. You gotta remain with them, and I'm just hoping, yeah, they can put it together here soon. I'd like to see uh, another championship. It's been a, been a long time, eighteen years. So eighteen years, and I believe what's their playoff drought now? Six years. Yeah, it's six years, yeah. I mean, the Angels back in the 2000s and 2010s were making it consistently when they had, like, Eric Ibar, yeah. Vlad Guerrero. They were making – they ran that division. But now the Cheaters have taken over a little bit. Houston Astros and the Oakland A's have put together a pretty solid team up there in the Bay. So it's been a bit of a challenge as of late. Um, it's not just the teams in our division that are the problem. It's also ourselves. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> got to do some – introspection there but we'll see what happens dodgers looking good going into next season obviously they got mookie bets on that long deal so dodgers loaded up and ready to roll and angels trying to get there and try and compete over in the al so we'll see what happens in mlb free agency see if the angels actually sign a good pitcher yeah anything can happen anything can happen pray for me that they do or else i might (laughs) i might i might have a fit of rage really if we don't so we'll see what happens (laughs) it's okay at least you have to charge oh Oh, right. Yeah, you know, you know, they kept it sort of close. You know, the, the hey, Chargers. You know what? If I had to bet between the Angels putting a competent team around Mike Trout and the Chargers putting a competent team around Justin Herbert, I bet on the Chargers honestly a little bit more. Oh, I would too. I would even be willing to argue that the Chargers have somewhat of a competent team around Justin Herbert. I would say that we need to put a competent coaching staff. It's kind of the opposite 
problem. I mean, Joe Madden's a great manager for the Angels. I don't think we have a problem there. But the Chargers, they have a problem with coaching. I mean, I don't know if you watched the Chargers-Bills game. The Chargers did something they've never done this season, which is they lost by more than one score. And here's how they did it, though. Here is how they did it. You just listen here. If you didn't see the game, Chargers are losing 27-17 to the Bills. And I'm like, all right, we're going to lose by more than one score. We're going to lose by 10. This is, you know, at least at least we didn't lose in gut-wrenching fashion. Chargers have the ball with about two minutes. Justin Herbert uncorks a bomb. He uncorks a bomb. It goes into, like, triple coverage. I mean, the, it was just a last-ditch effort. And our receiver is able to come up with the ball at, like, the five. And I'm like, wow, okay, we got a chance. It's like a minute 30 left. And the next thing the Chargers do is they proceed to run the ball. With clock not on our side, they run the ball to Austin Eckler. And just, I mean, the, even the announcers were, were, it was embarrassing. Even the announcers were crapping on Anthony Lynn. They're like, they're like, why are you running the ball there when you hardly have any time? And the, the last play of the game really epitomized the Chargers' season. There's about five seconds we've wasted off all the clock. It's fourth and goal from the one. They decide to go for it. Well, Justin Herbert originally went back to shotgun, and then he goes down below center, and it appears that everyone but the center didn't hear or see that he did that. <laughs> He goes to rush for the touchdown, and all, all four other linemen go in to pass block, and he just gets blown up, and the game ends. <laughs> if that doesn't tell you how my season's going with the Chargers and how their season's going, I mean, it, uh, it's just sad. I mean, obviously, Buffalo's a good team, and the Chargers, they were losing 24-6, to and they made a nice comeback and were able to get back into the game, but just, yeah, brutal ending. Didn't lose by one score, but it just it still felt like crap, I'll say that. <laughs> I know what it feels like to uh, have a gut-wrenching loss to Buffalo. Yeah. I will I will say that. That is something we can share together. Yeah. I will say this, too. Like, in terms of head coaching candidates out there, like, if I'm Eric Bieniemy and I'm looking at the different teams who are going to be competing for me, which every single team with a head coaching vacancy will, I look at the Chargers as one of the most desirable locations. You play in L.A., you already have your franchise quarterback, you have some decent players on defense. They've had health issues. You still have Keenan Allen, who's a great underrated receiver. Eckler obviously had, has had health issues this year as well. I think you can make a case that the Chargers, with, like you said, better coaching and hopefully a healthier roster, you can be a playoff contender. And yeah. Eric Bandman, yeah, he'd be staying in the same division as his current employer, the Chiefs, but he does kind of know the NFC West well, so... That'll be interesting to see if he heavily considers the Chargers at all. I think the most desirable jobs for him would be either the Chargers or the Texans because you don't have to solve the issue of who's going to be my quarterback. I mean, you could even make the case that this season, even with those injuries, with better coaching, I mean, there's so many games at the end where the Chargers have lost by three points, six mm -hmm. points, where they've just mismanaged the game. The Chargers could, could easily have only three losses right now. There's so many games. I mean, they've lost, they lost seven. This, this eighth loss was not by one score. They lost seven by one score. They were in every single game. And a lot of factors went into it. Um, obviously, the injuries maybe played a little bit of a role that we weren't able to hold it. Joey Bosa was out for a little bit. Obviously, having no Derwin James for the whole season hurts. But even with the team the Chargers put together, even with Austin Eckler out, Kalen Balaj came in. We signed him off free agency. He came in and has, has done all right for the Chargers. Better coaching from the defense, Gus Bradley. Yeah, Gus better Bradley. Better game manage. He's got to go. The problem isn't even as much Anthony Lynn, who I, I, you know, I think is a fine head coach, but clearly has some situational issues. Why does Gus Bradley have a job in 2020? That's what I want to know. Like, uh, why? Like, look at his track record. Like, go look at his, go look at his coaching record. Look at how Jacksonville performed under him, and then what happened to Jacksonville as soon as he left. That's all I'm gonna say. Like, yeah. No, I. I, I <laughs> I agree. He's clearly not a good defensive coach and hasn't been. The Seahawks didn't even become like an elite Super Bowl contending team until after he left. Yeah, it's so, it's anyway, just bad. It's bad. Yeah. I mean, they've got talent across the board. I mean, they got Casey Hayward. Joey Bosa was the bright spot on Sunday. He had a monster game against – I mean, he was blowing up Josh Allen. They like to run that zone read. They like to run Josh yeah. Allen up there in Buffalo, and he was – he was all over it, and he they actually had him mic'd up, and he was he was he was fun to hear. He 
he said some things we can't say here on on the podcast, but he he was fired up and he was all over the field. So you get you get a combination of him. You got Melvin Ingram when he's healthy. You got the linebackers, Kaiser White and Drew Tranquil coming back healthy. Derwin yeah. James. You get a competent coaching staff. I think the Chargers. I wouldn't say could compete with the Chiefs, but definitely um, could compete for that second that second spot in the AFC West and get a wild card. Obviously, the Raiders are kind of fading down the stretch now. They just got pounded by the surging Atlanta Falcons. Seem to do this every year, right? As they're out of playoff contention, they start to play well. It's the reverse tank strategy. It really is. It's our our friend Chris is is dismayed every year. They they look like they're gonna get a good pick. He's like, all right, why, I mean, we have seven losses. Why not just lose here? But no, they they start winning. They rip off about six straight. They miss the playoffs by a game. Get a mid first rounder, and then they'll they'll grab someone who's graded second or third round who isn't even a position that they really need. Um, I don't mean to hate on the Falcons. I have nothing against the Falcons at all. It's just a trend the past few years. Um, I don't know why you don't just – I mean, obviously you're not going to go into an NFL game trying to lose necessarily, but you, you don't need to win 43-6 to against a playoff team in the Raiders. Exactly. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know what they're doing, but uh, – They've woken up. <laughs> it is going to be interesting to see now that the GM is gone as well as uh, head coach Dan Quinn. It is going to be interesting. Do you trade Matt Ryan and Julio Jones? That's going to be the big question this offseason. We'll have to see. Yeah, we'll see what happens in – the NFC playoff race is really close. Your Los Angeles Rams are right in it, but they took a tough loss this past weekend to their division rival, a sweep on the season for the Niners. What what happened there? What happened is, I don't know. I You know, props to Robert Sala because he lost his two best defensive ends in the exact same game early on uh, over New York at the beginning of the season and has somehow... Even though the team is obviously still limping, they're not going to make the playoffs this year. I think they're the one NFC West team we can kind of say if we say that about now. Even though they are five and six, yeah. so it, you know it's not completely out. It's not completely out of it yet. But um, yeah, just it pain. Um, just Robert Sala <laughs> is another guy who deserves to be a head coach because oh my goodness, he yeah. has picked the Sean McVay lock. He knows how to frustrate the McVay offense and it's really annoying to watch yeah no it's especially I'd say it's even more disappointing it's got to be disappointing for the Rams coming off a really good win against a solid although a little bit struggling as well but coming off a big win on Monday Night Football they beat Tom Brady they the defense played excellent the offense played excellent as we talked about last week to come back against a limping team is just yeah Jared Goff did not look good Salah's defense really figured him out and it was just shocked to see the Niners pull that one off. It'll be interesting, definitely though, to see what happens in that NFC West. I mean, I mean, at one point the Cardinals, I think two weeks ago, I think the Cardinals were in first in the NFC West, and then yep. the Rams took over first place. But now with the loss and the Seahawks win, they're back in first place. Cardinals sliding a bit; they're down to six and five now. So the Rams are in second place by one game in their division. So yeah, Seattle—they're going to have to try and catch Seattle, and they've got a matchup. Coming up with Seattle in the future, that's going to be a huge one. But the NFC West, they've got some good teams in there. And it goes to show you that even the ones that appear to be limping like the Niners, they pull off a win against one of the better teams in the division, the Rams. That top to bottom, really solid division is the NFC West. It is pretty amazing the fact that um, Jimmy Garoppolo is hurt. Nick Mullins is forced back into starting there. Their receiving core has gotten healthy, which I think is huge. Debo Samuel looked amazing. Mm. Um but, you know, you look at Jared Goff's numbers after, you know, lighting it up on Monday Night Football in primetime. The guy goes 19 of 31, less than 200 yards, 198, two sacks, two interceptions. I mean, not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. And honestly, again, I feel like you have to give props to Robert Sala, who, again, should really have a head coaching job soon because that's, I mean, as we saw last week and the week before, that's not easy to do against the Rams. But now that really throws the NFC playoff picture into chaos, I think. I think if the Rams had beaten the Niners like I expected them to, we'd have a lot more clarity. Um, they would remain first in the NFC West. The Seahawks have since leapfrogged them back into first place. The Saints and Packers seem to kind of have the top two spots unlocked. That said, the Seahawks do have the same record as them, so that will be interesting. That's going to, what it really comes down to, obviously, you know, whoever comes out of the NFC East comes out of the NFC East and then immediately gets smoked by <laughs> a wild card team. Hey, don't sleep on the Washington football team, man. Alex Smith. That's true. It's like a nice comeback Washington story. Washington football team, honestly, uh, comeback player of the year 
seems like front runner, which is crazy given that Ben Roethlisberger is leading the undefeated Steelers. Exactly. But yeah, yeah, no, it is crazy. But the NFC playoff picture is still chaos. You've got in the wild card spots right now. You've got the Rams, the Bucks, and Cardinals. Yeah. Gun to my head, I think those are the teams that do make those three wild card spots at the end of the year. But you're just a game behind are the Vikings, the Bears, and the Niners. That's unreal, really. The Niners are just a game behind. That's wow. Yeah. It's crazy. it's crazy, and the Rams and Cardinals play each other twice. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, you got a kill shot. You could knock them down. You could knock them yeah, out. Yeah, we can knock them down, and they could knock us out. I mean, it's true. That's going to be those. really interesting. Those are massive, massively important games. Yeah. Uh, I do think the Bucks make it in. So really, it becomes a question of. I think it's safe to say again, either the Rams or Cardinals makes it in. So then it becomes the question of who gets that final spot. Does does one of the NFC North teams kind of pull themselves up and get back in the race. The Vikings are playing the Jaguars next week. The Bears are playing the Lions, both fairly easy games that I think they're favored in. Yeah. That could easily catapult them back into contention, especially if the Rams do beat the Cardinals. But then again, you know, it's it's going to be a dogfight in the home stretch of the season, and I can't wait to see it. It's honestly going to be really, really fun. In yeah. the midst of everything else going on, just having, you know, again, hopefully the NFL is still able to stay generally safe with COVID protocols, they've had to run into some issues. Of course, the Wednesday night football game against the uh, between the Steelers and Ravens, uh, they had some trouble pulling that off. But it does appear that they are still able to, so far, um, play these games generally on schedule, which means we are coming down to a very thrilling finish. Yeah, no, it's going to be fun, especially, I mean, the Rams, if, if you look at their schedule coming up, they got the Cardinals this week, obviously a huge NFC West matchup. Um, then they they host they host the Patriots and the Jets. Those should be wins, especially that last one against the Jets. But they close the season with two massively important games on the road in Seattle, and then Cardinals come into Los Angeles. I mean, three out of the yep. next five and two out of the next five against the Cardinals. Just massive, massive matchups. If the Rams are able to win these next three, get a win over the Cardinals, Patriots, and Jets, it could set up a almost. Who's going to win the division game with the Seahawks on December 27th? It's yeah. going to be an exciting stretch for the Rams and for the whole NFC. Really a lot of teams in it still. Even the Niners and even the Vikings who started off really slow. So, yeah, going to be a fun December. Got football, got basketball. Going to be a great December. Another thrilling December event that I know you're looking forward to is if the Notre Dame Fighting Irish survive this next week against Syracuse, which I think we all expect them to. <laughs> then what what happens next? What happens the next week, Joel? Well, the next week, do well. It's actually not the next week. The uh, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons were supposed to play the Irish back in September. The Irish had some COVID problems. Game was rescheduled to December twelfth. Oh, okay. That game gotcha. has now been canceled, though. That game with Wake Forest on December twelfth has been canceled due to a cancellation of Clemson versus Florida State. They looked at the body of work and they decided to even it out. Notre Dame was going to have played 10 ACC opponents and Clemson was going to in Miami and those other teams were going to have played nine. They decided to take out the Florida State game. They took out the Wake Forest game to just kind of return a little bit of sense of normalcy. Normally you don't have a game the week right before a conference championship. So they returned a little normalcy. There will be two weeks to prepare for that ACC championship game. And with that cancellation, actually, even with a loss to Syracuse, which nobody expects to happen, and I don't see it in a million years, but even with a loss to Syracuse, Notre Dame, uh, with an undefeated record, holds every tiebreaker in the ACC, and they have clinched a spot in that ACC title game. So Notre Dame will be there in Charlotte, North Carolina, for that game on December 19th. And who they face comes down to this week. The Irish should obliterate Syracuse, and Clemson going on the road to take on Virginia Tech. Clemson beats Virginia Tech. And we have a rematch, Austin. We've got a rematch on December 19th, if that happens. With with Trevor Lawrence under center. Yep, Trevor Lawrence. We got a new quarterback to handle. We're not going to be able to key in on ETN as much in this in that one. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that so, would be wise. I, I don't know if that, we'll that might be the best strategy against one of the best players, one of the best college football players of a generation. I don't know. That... That just seems a little Might risky. Not be. But hey, ETN in his own right is one of the better ones. I mean, he ever he's the best all-time running back statistically in the ACC. So, you know, a lot of weapons to deal with. But the Irish going into an easy 
Um, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't jinx them. Gosh, what am I saying right here? But on paper, <laughs> on paper, you've seen too much. Syracuse. Um, let's just say this: Syracuse last week was playing. Um, they're playing Wake Forest, and they lost their game by six points. They were driving down. They were on the ten yard line, eighteen seconds, no timeouts. Quarterback scrambles around, takes a sack, and on fourth and goal, rather than taking a shot, they uh, they spiked the ball. They spiked the goal on fourth down, ended the game. So you love to see it. I wouldn't say I'm worried about them, but you know anything can happen. If history tells it, though, yeah. the Irish last time they played. Syracuse was back in 2018. It was in historic Yankee Stadium for the Irish's. Oh, I remember that. Those uniforms were had some very weird uniforms. Interesting for the, uniforms. Uh, yeah, the Irish brought out pinstripes. They brought out pinstripes yeah. as an ode to the Yankees. Um, Irish were ranked number three at the time back in 2018. That was when the Irish obviously went 12-0. and And the Irish pounded, then ranked number 18, actually. Syracuse was having a good year. They pounded them 36-3. to Ian Book had a great game. Our running back Dexter Williams had a great game. I think this team is better than that team, and I also think they're better than the 2012 team who went to the national championship, um, and I could talk a little bit about that, but this team, the way they're playing right now, um, there's a reason they're selling shirts all around Notre Dame called Feels Like 88. Um, you can buy that on Notre Dame Barstool, a little shout out to them, but but they're selling those shirts those would probably sell well. And in fact, shirts like those are selling well in LA too, because 88 was the last year the Lakers and Dodgers both won championships. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Lakers and Dodgers. So that, that shirt is out. And just the way that Notre Dame's team has been so sound completely. Um, they got down early against North Carolina. Uh, as I said, if Notre Dame loses to North Carolina, it's going to be um, the arm of Sam Howell. They got down early, but Clark Lee, is an excellent defensive coordinator and i'm a little scared he's going to go to vanderbilt because they just fired their coach and that is where clark lee attended he's got to be considered a top candidate but the way his defense is able to adjust mid-game and completely shut down one of the more prolific passers so far this season in college football the way the defense is playing and and the way that ian book and the offensive line tight ends running backs the way even special teams, Jonathan Doerr can't be forgotten. He was clutching that Clemson game, hit four field goals yep. to keep us right in that. The special teams, defense, and offense. I mean, all three phases of the game this year, I think, has been so sound for the Irish. And I couldn't say the same for even in those years where we did go 12-0, lost to Bama, even in the year where we got blown out by Clemson but had a great regular season. There were There were definitely some glaring flaws that I was worried about going into games and playoffs. Sure. And then Trevor Lawrence exploited all those glaring flaws. But I remember even watching, yeah, Notre Dame did. really, there were times where they just really did not look impressive. I mean, they, yeah. I mean, even against one of the worst USC teams we've seen in years, they were, you know, USC was within a touchdown for most of that right. game before Notre Dame pulled away. So, yeah. No, I'd say, I mean, the Irish had one hiccup. It was against Louisville. It was a really sloppy game. It was early in the season, though. We kind of, the COVID rust was a little bit there. Mm-hmm. We won it. 12 to 7, but other than that, the Irish have beaten opponents the way you expect them to and the way that they should. And that's not something I could say. 2012, we played an unranked Pittsburgh team, and barring a missed field goal by Pittsburgh from 25 yards out, we were, were, were not even in that title game. They won in triple overtime. This year has been a much more convincing team, and Ian Book, for the latter half of this season, has stepped into a whole nother role. He's, he's, he's hit a whole nother level. He's playing the best of his career. And the offensive line, despite few injuries, we had a new right tackle and a new center, freshman Zeke Carell. He played un- unbelievable. I mean, they were blowing open holes for the running backs against North Carolina. His first ever game for the Irish, they didn't skip a beat with that O-line. So I, I'm i willing to say that this team, all the way around, is better, more experienced, and more consistent. Consistency yeah. is a big key for the Irish this year. And I, I do feel good. I mean, I know it might sound foolish to say, but I feel good about the Irish's chances going into this ACC championship game. Um, Ian Book has never lost a start at home as a Notre Dame starter in three Which years. Which is incredible. And if he, wins, if he wins this one against Syracuse, he'll be undefeated at home as an Irish quarterback, which is, yeah, hats off to Ian Book. That's I mean, he's a three-star recruit out of El Dorado Hills up in Northern California. Nobody thought he was going to be much of anything other yeah. than maybe a backup at Notre Dame, but he, he is... He's proved himself, and he's been one of the best quarterbacks to ever play at Notre Dame. So. Yeah, I was going to say, he's 
he's now kind of reached kind of that top. I mean, obviously you have guys like Joe Montana who are kind of the elite of the elite um, in terms of legendary Notre Dame quarterbacks, but he has really reached, you know, he's pushing that, you know, those upper tiers. And obviously these next few games are going to be what ultimately defines his legacy. But the, you know, the, the report on Ian Book has always been consistency. And now you take the way he's leveled up his performance, like you said, but maintain that consistency. And yeah, it's scary. It's really scary for a bunch of other teams. Uh, Joel, I want to ask you this is, you know, Clemson is obviously still the bet, one of the best teams on paper in college football. They're obviously, you know, a powerhouse in every sense of the word. Um, and with a healthy Trevor Lawrence, it'd be really hard to bet against them. If Clemson were to win the ACC championship game against Notre Dame, what does that mean for Notre Dame's playoff chances? Because now they are, they have, and let's say it's close. You have one loss, and it's a team you beat earlier in the season. There doesn't look to be a strong contender out of the Pac-12. There are some interesting non-conference uh, um, group of five undefeated teams out there. We'll see how that eventually shakes up, but it is really interesting to think. You know, you've got Alabama out of the SEC. You probably have Ohio State out of the Big Ten. Who knows what happens with the Big Ten? That is true. So, yeah, it is going to be very interesting to see if because I I just find it hard to believe that a close loss to Clemson would be an automatic death sentence for Notre Dame's playoff chances. So I've actually been yeah thinking and analyzing, looking at that a lot. Obviously, seeing what the different scenarios play out would be. Um, the SEC is is I think where it hinges. I think that. If Florida were to lose to Alabama, I think Florida's out. And if that were to happen, I think even with a loss, I think the Irish would get in if Florida were to lose. Now, if Florida were to beat Alabama, that brings a whole whole nother thing into it. I mean, Clemson, I mean, obviously the winner of this ACC championship, automatic big. They're going not positive what seed it'll be, what seed they'll be at, obviously, as Notre Dame undefeated team versus a one-loss Clemson team. We'll see what the seeding plays out. Sure. But if Alabama were to lose, they're still going to make it. I mean, I think a one-loss Bama is going to make it. And then if they lose to Florida, Florida will be in there. And then the winner of the ACC championships in there. And if it's Notre Dame, I think they still have a chance. But if Ohio State can get the amount of games to win, the amount of games to be played, even is what the question is right now. Yeah. To even because you have to have a certain amount of games played in the season to qualify for that Big Ten title game. And now they're talking about if you can't play in the title game or is Ohio State still in contention. I just don't see the committee putting in, say, a 5-0 and or 6-0 and Ohio State team who didn't even play in a title game. I don't see it. But Notre Dame's got the ultimate kill shot. They can't ask for really anything more at this point. They take care of business this week, as they should, hopefully against Syracuse. And they've got a kill shot. Clemson, they beat them. I mean... They're a top-two team in the nation. They're a top-two seed in the college football playoff. Right. And honestly, they're... Probably, I mean, I, I'd have to think Bama is the consensus national championship favorite, right? In in a scenario like that, but even if they, you know, Notre Dame's yeah, and right I think it's them. interesting to look at too. I know a lot of people, I know some people at least. Kirk Herbstreet said that he thinks Notre Dame. He thinks right now with their body of work, he said he's not necessarily going back. Who's the most talented team? But for their body of work resume he thinks Notre Dame should be number one I think the case could be made if Notre Dame were to beat Clemson again with Trevor Lawrence if you line up Notre Dame and Alabama schedule let's say Bama even let's say Bama loses to Florida I think Notre Dame and even if they beat Florida Notre Dame has got the body of work if with two wins against Clemson I mean that's hard to do yeah I think they could make a case and the college football playoff committee would take a serious look at putting the Irish at that number one game and with with that number one seed comes, you get to choose which uh, playoff game you want to play in. Um, usually teams choose closer to home, but I think the Irish, they haven't had a trip out to California this year. They didn't get to play Stanford or USC. They normally have a couple trips out to the West Coast. I think the Irish might pick, um, just announced today, sadly, will be empty, but they'll pick the Rose Bowl possibly, and that'd be the one versus four seed. We'll see who ends up there. But yeah, a lot of potential things kind of playing around right now, and We'll see what happens with COVID and Ohio yeah. State if they can get more games going. If they can't, they're they're most likely out of it. And then in that case, you might see two conferences dominate the playoffs. You might see two ACC and two SEC teams, or possibly a, a sneak surprise. Uh, yeah. BYU is playing Coastal Carolina this weekend. I, yeah, I'd have to think game. that the College Football Playoff Committee is going to look at that and see see who comes out of that. So again, there's a lot of 
um, scenarios here, but I think it says something to just kind of how crazy the season is that even if Notre Dame was to lose the ACC championship game, which is a weird phrase that, you know, I didn't think I would even be uttering <laughs> a year ago. Ever. Uh, or ever. Even if they do lose that game, I mean, I don't think you can write off their playoff chances. I don't either. Yeah, no. They got a good resume. It's going to be interesting. The first time ever. It's going to be exciting. The first time college game day will be at Coastal Carolina on the campus of Coastal Carolina University. That'll be fun. Um, they were scheduled to play Liberty. It was looking like that might have been an undefeated matchup. Liberty slipped up and lost a game. And then now it's had some COVID issues. BYU had an open week looking to schedule. A resume booster would be big for the Chanticleers. Or the Cougars, depending on who wins that game, to stay undefeated, be a big, a big resume booster. So yeah. Speaking of resume booster, don't sleep on Zach Wilson either. BYU quarterback, no. dude is a stud. It's no. gonna be very interesting to see what happens if he's able to lead the Cougars to a playoff spot. So a lot of different scenarios. We're hoping to have a very special episode for you guys next week to preview the ACC championship game. Definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, in the meantime, I'm Austin. You can follow me at at Austin Green 44. Joel, how can how can people stay in touch with you on the internets? Yeah, you can stay in touch uh, on Twitter. My handle is at the Joel Asher. Same handle over on Instagram at the Joel Asher. And be sure to follow at Frenemies Pod on both Twitter and Instagram to keep up with all the latest episodes. And here's some clips and hear about what we're talking about on here. If you don't get the chance to listen, they'll incentivize you a little more. So yeah, no, we're Excited for this December. Going to be a fun month, Austin, and uh, looking forward to the scenarios that play out. Tip off of the NBA, mm-hmm. MLB free agency, NFC playoff race coming right down to the line, as well as the college football playoff race. So looking forward to an exciting December, and uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But definitely going to be thrilling no matter what happens. A lot is happening in December. It's thrilling to have sports back. It's awesome to have sports back. Stay tuned, and we will be breaking everything down for you here. Also, shout out to our partners at Blue Wire Hustle. Make sure to follow some of the other great podcasts on their network. We will see you next week.